Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. So just like that, the 4th of July has come again. Does it seem to any of you like we were just here, like we just celebrated the 4th of July? The older I get, the faster time seems to move. I remember last 4th of July in my neighborhood, it was actually quite amazing. As you remember, all of the big uh, 4th of July events had been canceled, and so perhaps your neighborhood was like mine. Everybody was home. And just enough people had purchased wonderfully illegal fireworks to make our 4th of July spectacular. Now you need to know that I love fireworks. I always have. I was a bit of a pyromaniac as a kid. And I still get a thrill when I get to light a fuse even today. And you can analyze me later if you like. But you need to know that even as a kid, I can remember saving up my money and running down to the, to the fireworks stand to, to buy whatever I could afford. And then I would come home and just light it, man. I wouldn't even wait till the 4th of July. I really like fireworks. I, I like everything about them. I like the smell. I like the sound. I like the flash. I like it all. But you also need to know that I tend to get a bit philosophical around fireworks, especially around the big fireworks displays, so that Truth be told, every 4th of July for the past many years, I've been struck struck by the fact that no matter how glorious a particular firework may be, no matter how magnificent its colors, no matter how deep in, in my gut I can hear and feel the concussion of the explosion, no matter how well the lights dance on their way down to the ground, even the most spectacular fireworks are gone in seconds. They burn up, and they're gone forever. Now, maybe I think too much. My wife would probably say that I do. But every 4th of July, because of the brevity of these fireworks, I find myself thinking about the brevity of life, of my life, of your lives, of the fact that even though you and I indeed fill the night sky for a moment, with all of our pomp and circumstance and our, self of, our sense of self-importance for a time, often acting as if our time will never come to an end, the truth is much more sobering, isn't it? And the older I get, the more I realize just how fast this life goes by. The truth is that our lives will end sooner than any of us thought they would, and we will fly away. Now, we genuinely resist talking about the fact that all of us are terminal. We naturally resist that topic. But this morning, I want to challenge you to press into this reality because God calls us to. Moses calls us to in Psalm 90, telling us, as we do, we are discovering the heart of wisdom. Specifically, Moses will remind us this morning that life is short and then you die. But one short life is enough if you live it in God's presence. 
since he alone can bring unquenchable joy and eternal significance into every moment of our fleeting lives. So turn with me again to Psalm 90, and we'll consider why this is true and how it should shape the way we live. Moses begins Psalm 90 where all things begin. With the God who was before there was anything else, saying, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. You are before all things. You created all things. Therefore, you're the meaning and context of all things. For before the mountains were brought forth, verse 2, or ever you had formed the earth and world from everlasting to everlasting, say it with me, you are God without beginning. You will have no end. You alone are the God who was and who is and who is to come. And you are our dwelling place in all generations. Did you feel the relational texture of Moses' prayer to the God who has forever been the refuge and guiding center for his people? A fact that Solomon affirms in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord, that is, a reverential knowledge of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is living well in light of ultimate reality. Solomon tells us that the beginning of wisdom, the, the, the fundamental rubric of wisdom is the reverential knowledge of God since unlike Him, the Eternal One, you and I are fleeting, temporal beings whose lives begin and then end sooner than any of us thought they would. A fact that Moses affirms in Psalm 90, verses 3 and following, where he says, you, O God, return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, oh, even less than that, as a mere watch in the night, which is only four hours. Verse 5, you sweep them away, that is, the years and generations of men, as with a flood, so that they are like a dream which is to say, so that once a generation passes, it's almost if it never existed. Isn't that how we tend to think about people in the past, especially two or three or more generations ago? We say, yeah, okay, they existed, but it's as if they existed in a dream. Several years ago, I visited Manhattan with one of my daughters. I took her on her uh, graduate as a graduation trip a kind of a gift for graduating from, from high school. I did that with all of my kids, took them to the place they wanted to go, and she wanted to go to uh, the big city. So we went there, and we, we got to see Ground Zero. And, and right across the street, if you've ever been there, is St. Paul's Church. It's a church that's been there for, for hundreds of years. George Washington and others attended this church to one degree or another. And outside this church, really all around this church building, was a cemetery. I think that's a good idea. You know, if you had to come to church, every time you came in to worship with God's people, you, you see the people who had gone before you, and on your way out, you remember, today isn't guaranteed, right? I'm not sure the city would allow it, but you know, we can talk to them. So the cemetery is surrounding St. Paul's Church. 
and we walked around it, and I was just amazed. There were tombstones dating back to the early 1700s and likely even earlier, but we didn't know for sure because so many of the tombstones had been wiped clean by all the erosion over the years. Some you could see still had like just a hint that their name and maybe something else was on there, but you couldn't read it anymore. It had been erased by time. And as I thought about it, as I walked through this cemetery, it occurred to me that these people were just like me, or they had been just like me. They had aspirations, they had dreams, they had desires, things they wanted to do. Some of them had been American patriots, some of them had been a part of the American Revolution, and I wondered who they were. What role did they play? But then I pondered the fact that as grandiose as their dreams might have been, their plans, or even their actual lives, the firework of their lives burned out long, long ago. So that truth be told, their memory has been all but erased just like many of their tombstones. So that today, few if any people even remember their names. Sobering, isn't it? Because the elephant in the room here is that you and I, will face the same fate. One day, this will be true of you. Just a few generations after you and I are gone, few, if any, will even remember our names. For as Moses says in verse 5, Lord, you sweep away the years of generations and generations of man as with a flood. A flood that removes the monuments to our lives we thought would last forever, but it turns out are like mere grass, Moses says. Grass that is renewed in the morning, verse 6, but in the evening it fades and withers away. All of which means if wisdom begins with a reverential knowledge of the eternal God, then it deepens by understanding that life is short and then you die, even though it wasn't meant to be that way. Since God created us to live forever with Him without tasting death. Adam and Eve had a shot at this everlasting life until they ignored God's warning. What did He say? The day you rebel against me, you will surely die. And when Adam sinned, he and Eve experienced spiritual death immediately and physical death eventually. And now we, Adam's descendants, are all born under this curse of sin and death, which is what Moses is getting at in verses 7 and following of Psalm 90, where he says, For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Verse 9, For all our days pass away under your wrath, We bring our years to an end with a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, maybe we get 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. In other words, life is not as it was meant to be. How many of you know that that's true? That neither we nor our world are what we were meant to be because of the fall in Eden. Which is why Moses says that our years are soon gone and we fly away. Verse 11, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Notice how Moses ties the brevity of our lives to sin. 
that entered the world at the fall and ruined it. So that even though we who are His in Christ are no longer condemned for our sins, thanks be to God, even though God gives us new life in Christ, a life that Moses and, and faithful Israel at least tasted in the Old Covenant, which was a shadow of the new. Though God has poured out His wrath on Christ so that we don't bear it anymore, thanks be to God for us who are His, so that we've been reconciled to God, we are uncondemnable and uncondemned forever by God's grace through faith in Christ. Even though all that is true, God's wrath against His enemies, against uh, this fallen world and the effects of sin upon it is not yet complete. Which is why there will be a judgment at the end of the age where we who are His will escape God's wrath by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But God's enemies in this fallen world will be consumed by God's wrath. We read in 2 Peter and see in the book of Revelation. It'll be consumed with fire. Why? So that God in His grace can create a new heavens and a new earth where only rightness dwells and where we who are His will be perfected in glory with Him forever. Good news. Amen? But because we still live in fallen bodies and we're a part of a fallen world, even we who are His must pass through physical death in order to enter the final restoration that Jesus has purchased for us. A fact, Moses says, ought to shape the way we live by compelling us to understand that life is short and then you die. But one short life is enough if you live it in His presence. Moment by moment, as we'll see, in the presence of the God who made us for Himself. Which leads us to the climax and main point of Psalm 90. A prayer that becomes the cry of all who want to live with unquenchable joy and eternal significance. As we pray with Moses in Psalm 90 verse 12. Lord, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And thereby live for your glory. Which is of course for our best. What does it mean to number our days? It doesn't only mean acknowledge that our days are few, though that's true. It also means, I believe, acknowledging why our days are few and why our ability to flourish as God intended throughout our days is threatened. Now, the Apostle Paul helps us with this in Ephesians chapter 5, where he calls us to make the best use of our time, our fleeting moments on earth. Why? Because the days are evil, which is to say that we live in a fallen world that threatens to rob us of the lives we were created to live, long to know, forfeited in a fall, and can only be discovered by practicing God's presence, which is why Paul goes on to say, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is uh, debauchery, dissipation, or wasting of the life you've, given, you've been given, but instead be filled up to all the fullness of God. How? By being filled with the Holy Spirit. Which is just another way of saying, continually practice God's presence every moment. Abide in Him. Trust in Him. Walk in surrendered obedience to Him. Submit your dreams and aspirations to His. 
knowing that true joy and lasting significance are found in Him alone, come from Him alone. I wonder how many of you know somebody whose life ended prematurely. Anybody? Maybe it was a friend or a family member. And you were shocked by their death. And it was so sad, not only because you loved them and you grieved them, but it messed with your reality that had a false belief that you were going to live forever. It's sobering, isn't it, that God is the one who is sovereign over our lives. He has ordained our days You don't get to choose how long you live. One day, you too will die. I know for me, having seen many people die young in my life, it has really shaken me up, not only as I've grieved them, but as I have come to terms with the fact that today is not a guarantee, that life is short, and then you will die which compels many to cry, carpe diem, which means what? Seize the day. You can't just say, seize the day. Dude, you got to yeah, say it like you mean it, man. Seize the day. And seize it we should. But Moses tells us that there's a right way and a wrong way to do so. How many of you have plans, dreams, aspirations for your life, your family, your career, Nobody? I think we all do, right? That's a good thing. That's a godly thing. That's an image of God thing being expressed in our lives. As we express God's image, we desire to create. We desire to shape. We desire to accomplish significant things. Now, I hope you have all the time you will need to accomplish and experience all the things you desire. That would be really really nice. I hope that happens for you. But Moses reminds us that it would be a mistake for you and for me to think that our best life will be found in checking off our bucket lists, which has become something of a religion in our culture today. So that many of us, even in this room, believe that true joy and actual significance are found in our next adventure. Not long ago, I was in my car listening to the radio, and, and there was this jingle that came on. It really was a slogan, I guess. Let me back up. It was an advertisement for a, um, a travel agency, and they had this slogan that was really quite clever. It said, the key to happiness is to always be planning your next trip. In other words, we all know we can't find joy in the present moment, but only in the next one. And whatever that moment is, you think, will finally fulfill you. Forgetting that God created us in His image and saved us by His grace to thrive in every moment. By counting on Him, not our circumstances, for that fulfillment, for that joy. Even if our moments, even if our circumstances are filled with hot desert sand and have been for decades, which is precisely what the nation of Israel was experiencing, wandering the desert for that 40 years when Moses wrote Psalm 90 and called them to thrive in the one in whom we live and move and have our being, the one who had been their dwelling place in all generations. He invites them to pray with him as he does in verse 13. 
Return, O Lord. How long? Have pity on your servants. For we need you, O Lord, most of all. We know that only you can truly satisfy the deep places of our hearts. So, verse 14, Lord, would you satisfy us with your steadfast love? Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that alone can fill our fleeting lives with unquenchable joy. Now, is that just a churchy thing to say, or do you really believe it? Do you believe today that God alone can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart? That God alone can water the thirstiest places and fill the deepest places, the emptiest places in your soul? Until you do, you will spin, churn, and chase that which only God can give. Which is why we must learn to find true satisfaction in the only one who can give it. By praying as Moses does in verse 15, I love this. Lord, would you make us glad? Isn't that a cool prayer? Make us glad, Lord. In other words, fill us with joy as we find our dwelling place in you, the source of joy. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Make us glad by your presence with us, for you alone are the source of lasting joy. Even as you alone are the source of everlasting significance, which is why Moses concludes this psalm in verses 16 and 17, saying, Lord, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Lord, let your favor be upon us. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. For then you will establish the work of our hands. What does that mean? It's simply to say we know that if your favor is upon us, then you will fill our fleeting lives with meaning and significance that outlasts the boundaries of time. By bringing this significance into every moment of our fleeting lives as we live in each moment with you, abiding in you, trusting in you, practicing your presence, seeking first your kingdom and your rightness as we walk in surrendered obedience to you and thereby bear everlasting fruit in your power for your glory, redeeming the time, as Paul calls us to in Ephesians 5, redeeming every moment of life, even the mundane moments, the seemingly mundane moments, even if you're changing a diaper or balancing a spreadsheet, mowing your lawn, hanging out with friends, or teaching a kid his times tables. How many of you know that even these moments are sacred to God if you live those moments in His presence. See, there's this, there's this lie out there that says that there's the sacred life and then there's the secular life. The sacred life is stuff we do like at church and when we're praying, reading our Bible, maybe talking to people about Jesus, and the rest of life is everything else. The Bible doesn't teach that. There is no secular sacred divide in Scripture. God says all of your life is sacred to Him. As you practice His presence. For you see, every moment you practice God's presence, every moment you recognize He's with you and you abide in Him and you trust in Him and you walk with Him is a moment He will use to conform you to the image of His Son. It's a moment He will use to accomplish His good purposes in and through you. And so the question is, are you practicing God's presence? 
each moment of every day or you're dividing your life into the secular and the sacred. A pastor friend of mine a long time ago um, challenged me with this idea of practicing the presence of God. And I've got to tell you that it has become the most significant part of my Christian life. As much as a, a devotion time is important, as much as praying and reading your Bible is important, this is what has changed me. It's remembering that I'm in God's presence every moment. And what he challenged me to do was to put a rubber band on my arm. And every time I saw that rubber band or it pulled a, on a hair in my arm, just to remember that God was with me, that I was with him, that I was in his presence, that he was there, and that I would practice his presence. And it's changed me. Because it's taught me that in every moment, I can practice God's presence and thereby experience the joy He gives and allow Him to establish the work of my hands to bring eternal significance into and out of that moment because I'm practicing His presence. But that's something we will do only if we believe, as I've said this morning, Will, that life is short and then you die. But one short life is enough if you live it in God's presence. Because this is the heart of wisdom. I'm going to close this morning by inviting you to pray with me. We're going to have a time of corporate prayer. So we're going to have a time of prayer. And what I want to challenge you to do is to cry out to the Lord. Let's pray. God, teach us to number our days that you may give us a heart of wisdom. Teach us to practice your presence. Teach us to, to, to reject the idea that there's anything mundane in any moment of our lives because we can walk with you and you bring us eternal joy and significance. And you produce significance out of that moment. Let's pray together that God would make us a people who practice his presence moment by moment for his glory and our best. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.